Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You'll never bite a burger better than a Bubba. Wow, that's there. wow. There you go, fellas. There, nice work. Whatever. Dude, Early too. Just, just do your dumb show. Comes back after two weeks and hits that read two, spot on. Two weeks. Hell of a guy's job. been gone for like two months. <laughs> you should have been around here for the first hour. <laughs> just a disaster. Okay, enough. <laughs> God, you're like Sushri and Royce. Oh, we're patting you on the back. We said you did a great job. What candy are we going to get today? So the Wolfies <laughs> in the playoffs or not? Where's Someone the, no, tell it's, me. It's where's the golf? Towns yet another rebound and a flush on top of it. Speaking of weapons, an and one for Cat. What a feed, Tyus Jones to Carl Anthony Towns. For Towns, I'm not even sure how Towns <laughs> finished that. That's that was impressive by Towns last night in a in a must win game for the Wolves. Not as impressive though, Judd. Derrick Rose in transition. Rose crossover gets to the rack. That's finished. Derrick Rose right there. He's got great instincts, and I mean you're just seeing you know the tip of it. He's, <laughs> you know this year has been uh, you know basically a lost year, but he's super talented. And that's why we picked him up, and uh, he's played very well for us. I thought the second half we played really well. I thought the, uh, you know, I thought Derek gave us a big lift, and uh, that really got us going. Did he praise Cat at all for like how many? Fourteen shots, okay. twenty-four points, eighteen boards. One last year Rose, for Derek Rose. Rose was so good. Is ten points. One last season for Derek Rose. <laughs> we could go back, I think, four or five oh, yeah. years now to the MVP year and say the rest of them have been lost. Yeah, it's amazing. He's so in love with Derek Rose. So, um, welcome back to the show. Thank and you. This is perfect, right? Like this oh, is yeah. perfect. It all sets up. The Wolves have sort of earned this prove-it game on Wednesday. The Nuggets, by rolling off six straight wins to get themselves into position, have earned it. I have no problem with the Wolves having to prove it on Wednesday night at home against a red-hot team that's playing with more cohesion, that has, I think, a better, more modern offense in terms of, like, the structure, right? Like, and the Wolves are here. Tosh Gibson's got a neck injury, and... All of the players just looked beleaguered and ready to be done with it all. But here they are, one game away. Memphis had 
nine guys dressed last Dude. night and eight not dressed. It was a G and they, and they were down by the Wolves were down by ten in the opening quarter. That's Grinding. The, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Wiggins, um, Towns, and and uh, Jeff Teague were on the court to end the game. Yes, against a Memphis team that I repeat dressed nine people last night. In fairness, it wound up not being close. Like it was a twenty point game by the end, but it was it had to be it a thirty it had to be a thirty point swing. Way too long. It was it was closer than you would like against a tanking this, G League team. Which by the way, Andrew Wiggins, bravo for showing up important games three for 12 seven points did you join, join the party anytime did buddy. you guys hear the the jim pete anecdote that he told that he he saw butler say to w- wiggy as butler checked out in the first half and a- andrew checked in i just saw your note about it. i didn't okay so jim pete says i'm i was reading butler's lips and all he said to andrew wiggins was play hard <laughs> Just begging him. Play, please, please, just just for once in your life, play hard. <laughs> I mean, we only have to win this game, but no, this is the most perfect. It's not only it's not only the the most perfect of all Timberwolves things. It's also a perfect Minnesota sports thing. And it was if you remember last week when I think you were going through the probabilities. It was either Thursday or Friday, and at that point you said. You looked it up, and I believe it was ninety or ninety plus percent. It was like ninety five percent. Okay, which, wolves, which we called on the spot as being exactly, laughable. Exactly, laughable. Because, because if you have watched the wolves or watched sports in this town, to say last week that that was a ninety five percent probability was the most hysterical thing ever. This was going to happen on Wednesday was exactly what you knew was going to take place. So, uh, so here are all of the scenarios that could play out in the next two days. The range of outcomes for the Timberwolves actually goes from obviously missing the playoffs. If you don't, it's it's very simple. There's one playoff spot left. There's two teams. They both coincidentally play each other tomorrow night. Target Center. It's going to be fun. I mean, depending on how you feel, it's going to be torturous. It could be fun. Um, I mean, there's I. My gut says they lose, but with Jimmy Butler, if if he gets you know 30, 35 minutes, if they push him in, in terms of minutes, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they were to grind out a win. But yeah, they could miss the playoffs, or they could still land the fifth seed in the Western Conference. That would be that would involve like four things happening. But I'm just going to go through. Chris Long uh, from KSTP, he was in for you yesterday. He was grinding these scenarios on Twitter last night. They posted something on KSTP.com. So uh, Utah plays Golden State tonight. And then Portland tomorrow night, and that's at Portland, I believe. So you you thought, oh, Utah's you know kind of clear the field here, right? Like all these teams are in the playoffs, okay. but positioning is is still up in the air. So Utah could still go zero and two very easily. I mean, they're playing Golden State, which is trying to ramp up for the playoffs, and Portland, I would think, is going to try and ramp up for the playoffs. So if the Wolves beat Denver, and San Antonio beats New Orleans, and Utah loses both of those games. And Memphis beats Oklahoma City, which is the thing that probably won't happen. Uh, then you would have a four-way tie for fifth, which Minnesota would have the tiebreaker, and they would earn the fifth seed. All right. The most unrealistic thing about say, that scenario Wolves, is Memphis beating yes. Oklahoma City. But the other things are very very plausible. I mean, it's like coin flips, um, so you'd have to run the, the gauntlet Except there. Except it's the Wolves, and they never get that fortunate. Uh, well, correct. So that yeah. one's out. Correct. Well, you could play that game with all of these, so go ahead. Uh, Minnesota, here's another scenario for the five seed. Wolves beat Denver. New Orleans beats San Antonio. So either one of those, like basically New Orleans playing San Antonio is is a trigger here. Utah going 0-2. 
and then Memphis beating Oklahoma City. You'd have a four-way tie for fifth in which the Wolves would have the tiebreaker. They would earn the fifth seed. But again, unlikely because Memphis probably doesn't beat yes, they're Oklahoma City. Actively trying to lose is hard as possible. What's funny is the front office and coaches are actively trying to lose, but the players who are out there yeah, are no, all playing like, for yeah. jobs and yeah, they're I'll like firing play threes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, here's another one. This is for the sixth seed. And this is where I draw the line. I think if you could get to the five or the six, and the six is more realistic, you have a legit chance to make some noise in that first round. Maybe you beat the Blazers in uh, six or seven games. Now you get to the second round of the playoffs, and and it's kind of a fun two, three, four-week stretch. Um, if you wind up with the nine seed, you're out. Seven or eight, it's a death sentence for the most part. So here are the six seed possibilities. you got to beat Denver in all these. San Antonio and New Orleans kind of cancel out. Utah would have to go 0-2. Oklahoma City beats Memphis. So basically, if you if if Utah goes 0-2 in these two games mm-hmm. and the Wolves beat Denver, the Wolves have a legit chance to jump up to like the five or the six seed, depending on what happens in that Oklahoma City Memphis game. Um and then there's a bunch of scenarios, obviously, that land them the seven or the eight, like if Utah wins either game and the Wolves beat Denver and Oklahoma City beats Memphis, which is the most likely, then you play Houston in the first round. And so then you're done. There's your mind exploding with all these scenarios. You know the, the odds right now are 85% that they just lose the damn game to Denver. You know it is. You know you know what's going to happen is you're going to have Butler. Butler's going to play way too much. He's going to get tired. By the fourth quarter, his legs are going to be completely gone. Well, what would be the most Cat's Wolves-like be, thing tomorrow Cat's going to be in foul trouble and get a bad call against him. Wouldn't the most Wolves-like thing be that they win the game just to become sacrificial lambs and Jimmy Butler like re-injures his knee with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter? That would be very like, Wolves-like. Like tears his ACL. That would be very Wolves-like. And, he's, and now he's out well, until like let's January say, Let's just say it's minor. Let's just say he's, he's really no, tired. Like, and like that would be the most Wolves-like scenario, right? Isn't that what happened to Derrick Rose one of those years where they got in and everyone was excited okay. and blows his knee in like the first game of the first round? I'm thinking <laughs> Wolves down one with the ball, 10 seconds to go. Tibbs calls ISO Derek Rose. Oh my God! Throw it back. Gotta love Derek. Oh, Gotta he's... love Derek. Oh, he's... Derek Rose in transition. Rose crossover gets to the rack. That's finished. Derek Rose right there. Derek Rose just throws a stupid pass. Sails out, out of bounds. No, no, no. He takes it. the ball to the hoop. He breaks his guy down, goes right by him, and then he just loses his footing right when he gets uh, gets oh, to the and rack and goes, slips and falls. And his knee goes uh, out? Not necessarily that, but he just, you know, tumbles to the ground. Okay, what's most likely in these scenarios? That the Wolves have everything that needs to happen to get the five seed, or that Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler both blow their knees out in the second half? <laughs> oh, the latter, easy. They're both on the ground on the same play at the same time. They gurney them both off. Oh, That'll be it. And for some reason, Carl Anthony Towns needs to Tommy John surgery. Right. He's got to rehab. <laughs> he throws a baseball cross-court pass. Ah, oh, no, there goes the elbow. Ding, ding. Davis lines this one in the left field, and that one will drop in front of Rosario and then bounce past him and roll all the way to the wall. Correa scores easily. Davis around second. He's on his way to third, and he'll get in standing. one nothing Astros. You know, we talked about Justin, just his ability to kind of uh, have another gear when, when things... Uh, get a little bit, you know, more with traffic on the bases. You know, we had our chances there on uh, the first and third, nobody out, and he, you know, he got a couple of punch outs and a pop up. And then even late, we, we, we gave ourselves an opportunity there. 
but we couldn't get a big hit. You know, you got to score to win, and uh, we, did, we didn't score. Dude, Justin Verlander is, I don't know what happened with him for a couple of years there in Detroit, but he is yeah, he was he's next level like, the last off. couple of years. Three years ago? Is, is that right? He was a th- three years ago. I don't want to say he was done, but he definitely was not that great, and yes. he was fantastic last night. I think what you saw last night was, first of all, like that's a 105-win-plus team with a buzzsaw pitching staff. Uh, some, there's some good takeaways for the Twins. Like, Lance Lynn was hard on himself after the game was over, but Lance Lynn held an incredible lineup in check for five innings, got a bunch of strikeouts. The walks were still kind of there, but that's a really tough lineup to navigate for more than about five or six innings. Uh, the bad news, even though Justin Verlander was incredible, you still had nine chances with runners in scoring position, and you only had one hit on yeah. the, in those nine scenarios, and that hit didn't didn't lead to a run. So you had your chances. It was it was oh, a yeah. fun game. It was a well-played game uh, in some ways. Eddie Rosario was kind of a disaster last night, but that's the Eddie Rosario experience. He has not been good so, so far. He has, has struggled. The, the two in the field were bad, too. The, the diving attempt was not a pretty thing. Um, yeah, that, that I like the fact that Lynn is, is frustrated, though, because how many times before have we seen, especially twins and pitchers, bef- I, I had good stuff out there, and I don't know what happened. You know, Lance Lynn pitched in miserable conditions and still was ticked off. That's a good thing. I like that. I'm, yeah. I'm really tired of pitchers coming back in and saying, oh, man, my stuff, I thought my stuff was great tonight, and I, I battled. I right. really battled hard. At, le- at least, there, and, and his first two starts, I'll give him this, have been pitched in awful conditions. I mean, his, what, the Pittsburgh start was awful. This one was bad. So until you start to pitch in, let, let's just say, let's give him 50 degrees. Until you start to pitch in yeah. 50 degrees, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think like his frustration is uh, it's interesting in that it wasn't a terrible performance. I mean, it was definitely he was putting runners on, but that's like that lineup. Look what that lineup did to the Dodgers pitchers last year. I mean, Kenley Jansen's one of the best pitchers in the world, and he couldn't get it out against that lineup. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brandon Morrow, who's now the Cubs closer, is one of the best relievers in Major League Baseball. That guy couldn't get an out at times against that lineup. So encouraging in that you held it to two runs. And Lance Lynn, his frustration, keep in mind, that's a guy who for five years was one of the best pitchers in the National League on one of the best franchises in the entire you know Major Leagues, St. Louis. He's pitched in World Series games. He's pitched in big late season games. So it's, it's kind of nice that you, like, the expectations bar him. is set very high yes. with a guy like Lance Lynn, yes. even if it might be sort of unrealistic after Tommy John surgery. No excuses, too. That's the nice thing. I'm just so tired of Twins pitchers with excuses. Ricky Nolasco, every time. I I thought I had great stuff. Yeah, it was kind of no cold Rick, out there. Couldn't no, get Ricky, a great you feel. were terrible. Yeah. Again. For the 15th consecutive start, you were absolutely terrible. None of your pitches are great. Yeah, I know you throw yeah. like seven of them, but all of them cross over the uh, the belt high Your cars are really belt. cool, but your pitching stinks, Ricky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a drive-by of Ricky Nolasco there. Very. Oh, he deserves every one of those he gets. Uh, Matthew Collar is going to come in here. We're going to talk. We'll mix in some Vikings this hour, but we have a wild Jets playoff series that starts tomorrow as well. So you have a Twins Day game tomorrow. You got Wolves playing for the playoffs at home against Denver. You also have Wild and Jets. Uh, that starts like an hour before the Wolves game. It starts at 6 o'clock. You play the Jets night. and you get great start times. Is 6, that, 6.30 and 7. I love it. Is uh, game one on Golf Channel? Do we know? Uh, it is. Uh, I looked it up. It's on Fox Sports North and, get this one, CNBC, I believe. That's good. So, so we're not going Golf uh, Channel with Jets Wild just yet. Eventually, I know we will. So the, N- the NHL's plan to market the most important and fun two months of their entire year 
is to put games on CNBC and Golf Channel. I say Nick at Night, <laughs> CNN. I mean, just keep moving them around. And I love how folks are like, well, but they've, but you know, all the games are on at least. You're on Golf Channel. Like, what is going on here? Well, I mean, like hockey sticks, you know, Happy Gilmore. Happy yeah. Gilmore used a hockey stick to play golf. There's some crossover there. Next no, up, okay. the National Hockey League on Spice Channel. We'll return to porn, oh, then after that. Does the Spice Channel still exist? I don't know. I would I would hazard to guess it does. I would think it does. I'll find out tonight. I feel like you know that I'll it find, does. I, I, I honestly would tell you if I knew. I don't know. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. Derek Rose in transition. Rose crossover gets to the rack. That's finished Derek Rose right there. I feel like Mark, uh, LOL Mark, who emails into the show every day to rip us, I think particularly me, but rip us for thinking that the Wolves are going to make the playoffs. And then, like, if they do make the playoffs, that they'll just get smoked. And, like, we mostly 80% agree with you, Mark. I don't know why you think that, like, we're on opposite sides. And here's another email. Uh, All of these teams above the Wolves had key players miss significant time this season, so don't go with Jimmy missing some some games as a weak excuse. Like, nobody is. Oh, yes. that's. Nobody is using that as a weak excuse. We're all saying, even though Jimmy missed a few weeks, and Matthew Collar's hanging out with us too here from 1500ESPN.com, like Kawhi Leonard missed the season for the Spurs. Uh, Go to the Eastern Conference. Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving basically lost seasons for the Celtics, who might still get to the the NBA Finals. Uh, As Mark points out, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap only played about 35 games this season. Uh, Boogie Cousins miss. Boogie is, Cousins is out for the season. Mark is l- looking to argue for the sake. You're of arguing. Yeah, you're, you're arguing ar- with yeah. a plant right now, Mark. We never said. And 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 in fact, the Wolves w- would have clinched a playoff spot by now if they hadn't lost six games total games to the four worst teams in the NBA: yeah, didn't Orlando, Memphis Atlanta, two Memphis ago. two weeks ago, and Phoenix. So yeah, Mark, you are uh, you're upset at somebody, but it's not us because we basically agree with you. What's your level of Wolves fever this week here, Matthew? Oh man, this game Wednesday, I'm jacked for that. Um, I was still annoyed at myself for on our Saturday show. We had someone call in and agree with me about hoops, but started his call with. Well, Collar, I know you're a football guy, not a hoops guy. And then he continued his point, and I forgot to circle back and you be were like, so rage whoa, filled. whoa, 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 <laughs> like myself some hoops. So, no, I am extremely excited about this game. Now, the point about Jimmy Butler, I think, does relate to the analysis of Tibbs that, yeah, if you take the best player off of your team, and not just a real good player, but the guy who carries the team off – all of a sudden you are mediocre and you don't look like a playoff team yes. and you lose to teams that you shouldn't because you took a top 20 player off of your team and not just that, but the guy who wills you to victory on a regular basis. Correct. So if, and I agree with that premise too, if you take that player and he's not LeBron good, but like if you take, if you take the stud player off of the team and, and the Wolves are the Wolves have the benefit of also having a second stud player in Carl Anthony Towns. How does the rest of the team look? Does the rest of the team gel? And the answer is no. no. And that's a huge indictment on Tom Thibodeau. In some ways, yeah. I, but in other ways, I, I think it's also an indictment on your favorite player, Andrew Wiggins, too. Because <laughs> there there's an opportunity there for a guy who's drafted number one overall, and we understand what insane talent he actually has, 
to say, okay, well, now this is my time then because our guy is out and wait, I've got to step stop, up. Stop, stop. What, what part was he going to say again? Right. And, and, and what did you say he went last night? Three for 12? Yeah. And the other night he was seven for 21 or something. I mean, this, this is just, he's gone so far down to where at one point we thought, okay, all right, there's the 40 point night, but then there's the frustration and we just need more 40 and less terrible nights. And this year he has been, I think, one of the least efficient players in, in the, the entire league. NBA. Dave, yeah. Dave yeah. Benz ripped him last night on Fox Sports North. When Dave Benz, and they, they do a nice job, but when Dave Benz rips you, you are really bad. Yeah, Jim Pete will get on some. Yeah, but, but Dave, Dave Benz ordinarily tries to sure. pull Jim back. And and I believe they, they were go- going through a list of guys who hadn't played that great. And Dave Ben says Andrew has failed to join the party. For sure, that that yeah. in itself yeah. tells you something about his play. And here's another thing, another pet peeve. When so there's games where Wiggins will maybe he'll disappear offensively. He'll go. He'll have one of those three for twelve games, but he'll play some good defense in the second half and grab some rebounds. And then maybe I will point out to the Twitter masses or whatever, or on the radio, mm-hmm. how bad he was offensively, or vice versa. Like, maybe he has a great night offensively, but is just a sieve defensively, or puts up 25 points and grabs one rebound and dishes one assist or something like that, where it's not a complete night. And the responses I always get from the Wiggins defenders, well, why don't you, if you're going to point out you know, his deficiencies over here, why not highlight his over here? No. If I'm going to pay $150 million yeah. for a player, I want all of it. I want all of it. I don't want just like one thing one night and then another thing another night. You're paying for overall productivity in a sport with a clock. Like efficiency matters and productivity matters. So let me tie this, excuse me, to Tibbs, where I think that his hands are completely tied with Andrew Wiggins. I think he has to play him huge minutes because the owner decided that this is going to be one of our franchise players. And when Andrew Wiggins gets a switch and he's one-on-one with a point guard and he pulls up for an 18-foot fadeaway, dude, oh, what is Tom Thibodeau supposed to do there? Because you can't bench him because then your owner's going to be upset because he's the one that made that decision. Also, Wiggins doesn't have to listen to you. He's got the money. He doesn't have to listen to you say, if you pull up for that shot again, I'm going to bench you. And he can shrug his shoulders because he'll fly a helicopter out of here and it doesn't matter. And some players are just like that. They're just uncoachable. I remember hearing this about BJ Upton or what's his name? Melvin. Melvin. Melvin Upton, who was a top draft pick. And I asked a scout one time when I was doing minor league baseball, I was like, what's the deal with him? His talent is unbelievable, but he never really reaches it. What's with that hitch in his swing? And he goes... He doesn't listen to anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. could work with this guy, and he would not and those, listen to care. him. Yep. And and where that's where I apologize for Tibbs is, yes, there are reasonable complaints, but I think you are just stuck there, and that's the player who's really bringing you down, who I actually think if you just took completely off the roster and brought in anybody else to just play defense, you just brought in a defense-first guy, you'd be a, a better team. Where I do love this team, though, is they are maddening. They can have great games, awful games, but they are compelling as hell. These guys are now compelling. I find myself watching them 50% to see how well they play and 50% to see what goes wrong. That's accurate. They yeah. are. They, they That's have, why tomorrow night's going to be they, incredible either way. They have become <laughs> old school Viking-like, where where you sit down and say, 
You might tear your hair out during the course of this game, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be compelling. They are, they've gone from being this bottom feeding crappy team that you didn't make time to watch to saying, I have to tune in, if nothing else, to see what goes wrong. Also, too, Jimmy Butler is. One of the most likable and fun to root for players in the mm-hmm. NBA. So it's 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 conflicting for me because I look at Wiggins and think this is such a such an epic waste of talent through four years and a guy who just doesn't have a motor that uh, that that you would think that a guy with that kind of talent should have. And Jimmy Butler's the opposite. Like Jimmy Butler sat for two or three years and was a late first round pick and had to grind his way just to, in practice just to get on a court. And he doesn't take that for granted. So like I, when when those guys are on the court together, I'm rooting so hard for Butler. And so frustrated with Wiggins. And Carl Anthony Towns, probably more toward the Butler side because you know that he cares. You know that he's passionate. You know that he's efficient. Like last night, the guy had three missed shots and put up 24 <laughs> and 18. It was incredible in a must-win game. But he frustrates you. Too. Like, every, like Judd said, it's the it's this two-and-a-half-hour roller coaster of mixed emotions when you watch this team. With Carl, I think we watch too much Carl. Because if Carl played for another team, we would just be like, oh, he's incredible. Oh, my God. How do you have this player? Because he's so good. And look at these numbers and look at some of the nights that he has where he can put up 30 points and 20 rebounds and look at some of the shots that he's made this year in big games. And sometimes you have to pull yourself back a little bit from watching a player every night. This reminds me of hockey players who will score a bunch of goals, but then it'll be like, yeah, but he didn't back check on that one play it's like look if he played for somebody else you'd talk about how great he was and how you wish you had him and I I think that it's that way with Carl Anthony Towns that he's one of the best players in the NBA but the other players it's really that the pieces just don't fit with this roster and that's where it's when you look at Tibbs it's GM Tibbs coach Tibbs When, when I look at their scoring numbers in their top 10 in offense I think okay well he hasn't sucked the soul out of their offense by screaming at them or being super defensive. And that's kind of an accomplishment considering they don't have ace three-point shooters. Well, what's amazing about the offensive success, I believe it's like fourth or fifth still, maybe fifth in offensive efficiency rating, which is considering they don't shoot threes, that's an that's an amazing number that yeah. they're so good at everything else offensively. Here's the yeah but when it comes to Tom Thibodeau. They take the most contested shots and the fewest wide open shots of any offense in the NBA. So does that tell you these guys are scoring with just freakish pure talent when Jamal Crawford goes off? It's not because they schemed him open. When Jimmy Butler goes off, it's not like bang, 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 oh, wide open schemed play like you see with the Brad Stevens Celtics. My two thoughts on that are how many of the contested shots belong to Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> all of them. A lot of them. And the other thing is that counts too, that paint shots too. Like Taj Gibson yeah. actually takes a lot of contested shots because he's in the paint. Right. But yeah. yeah. I, well, and I, I guess I, I would also say that. I mean, you're right. They do not beautifully move the basketball, and it is frustrating. <laughs> There's and nothing you, beautiful you, about any. You have <laughs> you have a lot of one on one basketball. But if you're talking about like contested catches in football, Stefan Diggs with a contested catch is a lot different than Laquan Treadwell with a contested catch. That there are players who are much better at shooting those sure. shots than than other guys. And it seems on this team, especially with Carl, Carl could take any shot he wants anytime. That is just one of the best shots I have ever seen from him. Oh, Carl's from, fantastic. From three-point land, the fadeaway. It's like, take more contested shots, Carl, as long as Wiggins doesn't shoot. Here's the concern, uh, back to Tibbs, and it is more so about him as president of basketball operations. When you hear how he talked about Derrick Rose last night, 
And because his goal should be to develop players, right? To bring in players, not to bring back. And Butler's great. But Derrick Rose has been hurt for how long? And Derrick Rose, and we all said, Tom, don't do this. He's been hurt. He's going to get hurt. He's he's a security blanket and nothing more. And then last night, a game against a Memphis team that didn't dress eight players, dressed nine and was a G League team. And Derrick Rose, I, I'm giving nobody credit for playing well last night. Mm-hmm. And he's raving about, this is the Derrick Rose I know. This is the guy. And it's like, Tom, hold on a second. If you're just coach, I'm okay because the GM's going to come downstairs and say, shut up. But you got no one to come downstairs and you are raving about this guy who is, without question, a has-been. It is a, a huge percentage, I think, of why people don't buy into Tibbs is just how he presents himself after games, how he's presented himself in the media. There are no puff pieces on Tom Thibodeau and Zach Lowe on his podcast, which is an amazing podcast was talking with Jim Peterson early this year. It was a great episode. And he was talking about Tibbs and he was doing a story on Tibbs and he asked him, Hey, so I heard that you like really enjoy classical music. And Tibbs just, like, got up and walked away. Like, he didn't want to talk about himself at all. He only wanted to talk basketball. And with the other coaches that we like, they show a little bit of themselves, especially, I know this from Zimmer, people just love Zimmer. And it's not just the winning. It's that even though he's a hard ass, he can also show a little bit of that sensitive side. There's a vulnerable side, for sure. And you believe everything he says. With, with Tibbs, I mean, if he goes on about Derrick Rose, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I guess he loves Derrick Rose, yeah. but I mean, that's sort of typical to ignore Cat and talk about Rose. And, and what am I supposed to make of any of the stuff he says? Because it's just it's just talk. It's right. just, it's also, I have to talk to you guys, so I'm going to say basketball things. You know, the, the Judd and I talked about this last week, the Zimmer-Tom uh, Thibodeau contrast. Mike Zimmer takes pride and joy in drafting and developing young players. You know, Anthony Barr is our guy. We're going to mold him. Xavier Rhodes, I'm going to be hands-on through training camp. You can name all those defensive players. And Tom Thibodeau actively rejects the notion of playing and or developing young players. And, and Towns and Wiggins, like he has no choice because those are number one picks in the draft. And Wiggins, I think Towns is more of a self-starter and more of a, I'm just going to figure out how to be great type of a player. Wiggins has been the same player for four years. But Justin Patton was a mid-first-round pick who's played 30 seconds this year for the Wolves. Yeah, he won't play. Like, Tyus Jones has minutes being taken away uh, by players who are all 28, 29, 30-plus years old. And he's been, when he gets minutes, he's been able to move the ball more than any other player off. Like, there's there's no desire. And there was also the story that came out, uh, Jamal Murray. This, this, the stud freshman from Kentucky who the Wolves are going to see again tomorrow night. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the league for Denver now. Averages like 17 points a game. And Jim Pete was telling a story on the broadcast a few nights ago that the Wolves, this was Tom Thibodeau's first draft. They just didn't feel like a 19-year-old Jamal Murray was going to be able to quickly retain what you need oh. to contribute. And so they went with <laughs> well, they went with lower-ceiling veteran yeah. Chris Dunn and then got bored with him quickly mm-hmm. and traded him anyways. Not like Jamal Murray would be a great piece to this puzzle because he just jacked threes all night. And he just wants Derrick Rose back. He just desperately wants this to be 2009 again, or and he just desperately wants Derrick Rose back. I, I do think that Tibbs looks at this roster and getting Jimmy Butler as I can win right now, and I'm not thinking about five years from now, so I'm making all of my thoughts and decisions on that. Which is okay if you're just the head coach, and but that gets into the danger zone when, when you've got the executive title too, and now you're thinking solely about one thing. 
Yeah, right. Like some, right somebody yeah. somebody has to be guarding the future of the franchise, and right now, I don't know who that is. Right, yeah, because, I mean, if you're talking about the Vikings or something, they're always looking yeah, a couple Spielman years will come out. downstairs and tell Mike, Mike, we can't do this. Yeah, or the, the Wild would be the same thing, that even though they're making moves, made a mistake with uh, Miko Koivu contract, but um, they're always drafting and developing players and things like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a different situation, and maybe there is a separation between where we think they should be and where Tibbs has been. But when I try to pull back from the situation and say, like, let's pretend I haven't watched every single game and I'm looking at this from the outside, how would I feel Tibbs did? And the win total, how much they've scored, how well Cat has played, how well Jimmy has played, the flawed roster that he's working with from top to bottom, you have outside of Jimmy, you just have flawed player after flawed player. I look at it as a pretty good job. And I well, don't from, think from a that, coaching standpoint, yeah. you're saying, yeah. And I don't think that, I okay. don't think that people agree with that, but I think like, what's our, what's our bottom line on this. If they make the playoffs and especially if they have some way of getting up into a, a better situation than playing Houston, if they make the playoffs with this team and you sort of survived that time without your heart and soul player, I think you did okay. I don't think that that's the general opinion, but that's how yeah. that's what I try to do is let and, me get a different perspective by pulling it back a little and bit. And I think anyone who's a borderline NBA caliber coach could take a Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns team and put them on the borderline of an 8 seed. Let's get, let's get to Wild and Jets when we come back and uh, discuss the seven-game series that starts also tomorrow night. Matthew Collar in here from Saturday Sports Talk, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Give each other $20, okay? Put it on Underhill. Mackie and Judd on 1500. I think he looked fine. I just, uh, he hasn't been cleared yet to play. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, again, it wasn't ex- excruciatingly painful to, to the practice itself, so... Uh, we'll see. We did. A, we wanted to have, make some contact to see how he felt, but I haven't heard yet. Spurgeon. He's talking about Spurgeon. Yes, Boods on Spurgeon. Okay, boys. Uh, Jets Wild first round playoff series begins tomorrow night in Winnipeg, and uh, the guy that uh, Boudreaux was talking about there to me is key number one. I have convinced myself, and I don't know if uh, if th- this is just me drinking the Kool Aid or what. I've convinced myself. That in this league, in a series like this, when you get to start a series on the road against an up-and-coming team that hasn't proven a ton yet, you've got a chance if you are the Wild. But it starts with this. If Jared Spurgeon can't play, I think they're toast. I think they're cooked in about five games. Mm -hmm. If Jared Spurgeon can come back and Jared Spurgeon Collar can play and he's not going to be 100%, but let's say he can get up to 85-90, to I think you got a fighting chance against the Jets team that I believe the stat is... The entire roster has 200-plus games of playoff experience, and just conversely, the the Wild is at 700-plus games as a roster. Uh, With Spurgeon, he's the type of player that can carry someone else. With him and Ryan Suter, it was the perfect pair. It was a guy in Suter who was always there defensively, could make a good pass to Spurgeon to get him going through the neutral zone and, and producing on the other side. But if you play with Spurgeon, you can play a very simple game and allow him to carry the puck and carry the, the weight there. Uh, and I think that he is the most underappreciated defenseman in the entire NHL for what he does, what his role is, what his job is. So if he doesn't play, yeah, say goodnight. The Jets are an 
awesome team. I mean, just top to bottom, their roster is completely stacked. But the fact that it's Suter going out and it's Spurgeon's partner, maybe that gives you a chance to kind of mitigate that a little bit if Spurgeon just carries the weight. This series, to me, is really about Matt Dumba. Because the Matt Dumba I've watched this year, I think, has elevated himself to being one of the better defensemen in the entire NHL, which I think would have sounded insane if I said that even at the beginning of this year. But I've given the stat before to you, Judd, that he has been on the ice for the, I think it might have changed at the very end, but he was he was only behind Connor McDavid for on the ice for goals for his team. Mm-hmm. So his passes out of the defensive zone, and this is at even strength, so not just not power play. So his passes out of his zone, his puck carrying, his shot from the point. What does he have? Fourteen goals on the season, which is two power play and fourteen, I believe, right, which is, which is up with the elite even strength scorers for defensemen in the entire NHL. That's up there with your Zach Wierenski and your Victor Hedman and and all the great guys. Uh, Ivan Provorov had a great season this year for Philadelphia, so he's mm. done all this stuff, and uh, him and and Jonas Brodeen have really formed this chemistry where you have the defensively sound guy, the offensive dynamo, and if he steps up in this series and shows what kind of defenseman he really can be, the guy that they drafted in the first round, they do have a chance to win. But if he disappears or he kind of reverts back to the guy that struggled under pressure and made a lot of mistakes, this team is going to smoke you. I mean, they have three lines of spectacular talent. And if you make mistakes against them, you could say goodnight. Let's go back to Dumba for a second, because I'll I'll give you another one, too. Uh, Point shares are sort of like wins above replacement in some way. It's kind of an all-encompassing way to measure performance in hockey. If you take away goalies, Matt Dumba is 30th in the NHL in point shares this year. I feel like his performance gets overshadowed by turnovers. But, But again, like... There, go go across other sports. Brett Favre is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The guy turned the ball over like a machine. Russell Westbrook won the MVP award last year in the NBA. I think he also led the NBA in turnovers. Brent Burns has the most turnovers of any player in the NHL the last two years. I don't think anyone's arguing that Brent Burns is somehow like a subpar hockey mm-hmm. player, right? So do we get too caught up in the negative, which again, like turning the puck over is bad, but it doesn't overshadow all the good things that Matt Dumba does. I I like the Brett Favre comparison because Brett Favre's actual interception percentage for his career was kind of in the mid to top range for the era and for like year by year if you go through it. They threw the ball all the time because they had Brett Favre. And the the, the thing that, that is apt about that comparison too is this. When they flame out those two flamed out, right? Like, it was a spectacular... Dumba makes a bad pass, and it's not... Ordinarily, it's not a a neutral zone pass or an offensive zone pass. He'll make a pass in front of his goalie. And so you think to yourself, what is he doing? This is crazy. Favre would would throw... You know, Favre would have a great season, and and it would end in spectacular fashion with a dumb throw. So I think the reason why we focus on Matt so much is because when he does lose the puck... It's at the absolute worst times, and that overshadows 10 good things. I, I agree with that. I also think any player who handles the puck a lot will have turnovers that you notice, and you don't notice the 50 times he didn't turn it over. And I, and I pulled up the list on the NHL website for giveaways, the, you know, the bad the turnovers. And as you mentioned, Brent Burns is right up at the very top of the list. 
Aaron Ekblad, former number one overall pick for Florida. P.K. Subban, John Carlson, John Klingberg. What do these guys have in common? They're the best offensive defensemen right. in the league. Yeah. They've got the puck all the time. Yep. Yeah, sure. Brooks Orpik isn't turning it over because he's never touching the puck. And guess what? This means this means Dumba's not going to make great passes the entire series. I guarantee you he'll make at least two or three dumb ones. So that being said, guess what has to happen? That's where Dubnik has to stop the puck. He does, and that, yes. but but that's those are the saves where you say, "Oh my God, I can't believe he stopped that puck." But those are the ones. So so for all the good Dumba gives you when, when he gives you, let's say, three really stupid bad plays, Dubnik has to stop those pucks. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's where we talk about goaltenders being spectacular. You're going to have to get a great performance out of Devin Dubnik, and we have not really seen that from him yet in the playoffs since he's been here. Last year was the best he's been, and it wasn't quite good enough because Jake Allen was better and the Blues' defense was better. And the Blues also didn't have very many scoring chances or even the puck at all in that series and somehow came out on top. This is where you do question Dubnik, but what I would say is we're still in very small sample land with him as a goaltender. And even if you look at the beginning of uh, Jonathan Quick's playoff career, it was horrible. And there have been plenty goalies who have struggled early in the playoffs, and then we just stamp them. Carey Price was even one where we just said, nope, can't win in the playoffs. And then yeah. he was great and, and took his team all the way uh, to the Stanley Cup final one. So it, it happens with goalies where those small samples kind of shade your feelings on a guy. Now, the rest of the roster, though, has guys where you're talking 30, 40 games of the playoffs. Guys like Granlin, Zucker, Coyle, where they haven't done anything, and, I, and that is a big concern. Can I give you one thing, though? I saw a note when I got home yesterday that drove me crazy. This is so easy, Bruce. Bruce, if you're listening, Tyler Ennis, you're debating him or Greenway, th- third-line wing with, uh, with Cullen and Coyle. This is not hard. The Jets are huge, and I get the Greenway was not spectacular, but he's six foot six. He needs to drive to the net. Your guy Ennis is a guy, and I hate this. Guess what he did? He played well in the last game against the Sharks. <laughs> yeah. Tyler Ennis is a is a, and, and I do not say this in a complimentary fashion whatsoever. He's a secret weapon that you put in for one game because for whatever reason, if you bench him for about three games now, he'll come back in game four and play well. But if you actually go with him on a wing in game one, I almost guarantee you he will give you nothing. And the fact he played well in in a somewhat meaningless game or last game against the Sharks would mean nothing to me. I play Greenway. It's not even a decision and in the, game one. The the matchups with Ennis are not good. And you've uh, seen it before, though. Oh, yeah. He sure, plays sure, sure. great every fifth game, and, uh-huh. and you got to bench him for a while. Yeah, and, and the body of work for him this season is just not good at all. And he was a healthy scratch a number of times, and that just playing him in the playoffs is not something I would want to do, especially when you look at this, the, the, the three lines of Winnipeg. These are all guys who can shut him down. Because he used to get away early in his career, and this is what made everyone love him so much, with his speed and his skating ability. But the league has sped up, and he's slowed down a bit. And now he's just an average skater out there. I mean, he's a little more nifty than most people and flexible because he's small. But he's not blazing by everyone anymore and creating breakaways for himself and things like that. So you have guys on this team, on this Jets team, who can skate 
right with him and have no problem shutting him down. I, I would prefer to have the bigger guy, too, especially since I think Ennis has shown us that his best days are in the past. Matthew Collar hanging out with us, TCL Broadcast Studios, uh, Mackie and Judd. Also, Jason Stark will join the show at 1130 today. You know what time it is? and Judd are back. Stand to your duty. On 1500 ESPN. MLB The Show 18 is now out. More home runs, more epic plays, more classic legends, all in less time. Knock out a game of MLB The Show 18 in less than 15 minutes. Dominate the competition on the couch, on the headset, and on the diamond for those who crave the best of baseball. MLB The Show 18. Welcome to the show. Ready for everyone. Enter to win your very own copy right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. I want to mock. Mock. I want to mock. Oh, it is draft simulation time with Matthew Collar. 1500ESPN.com. Uh, give us a little taste here. How, right. how did you simulate this draft? Okay, How did you channel so, your inner Mel Kuyper? Yes, it is on 1500ESPN.com. You can learn all about the players I will tell you about now. Fanspeak.com does draft simulations, so you don't have to try to mock all the different teams and figure out what the Falcons need. It'll do that for you. Wow. You just play GM. It's wonderful. Wow. So <laughs> the Vikings came up in the first round, number 30 overall, and uh, this is my third simulation. My first two, I went luxury pick, guys. I... I picked a tight end in one of them, and I picked a defensive tackle in another. And, All I, right. and I'll tell you why, because it is a deep guard class. All so right. then I picked up my offensive lineman in the second round. With my third simulation, though, a player was on the board who's just too good to pass up, and that is UTEP's Will Hernandez, a beastly guard. I knew you liked him. He is a vicious man. Yep. I listened to him talk at the Combine. He sounds like a really bright guy, which makes a big difference on this well, you team. You got fooled by the Combine, too, just like the rest no, of them now. No, no, no. That's his, I mean, that's his thing. He's nasty. He's smart. He's All also right. built like a bowling ball, and he's got comparisons to Richie Incognito with the way he plays, who's one of the nastiest players in the league. So this, this, I mean, this guy mauled his competition. Like, it wasn't just he played against lower competition, but he threw them around. And it, he allowed zero sacks in the last two years. And he's played in multiple schemes. He also dominated the combine with his 40, his, his jump, all yeah. those things. But, but these how are all fast the things, can he eat a bowl of mashed potatoes? That I don't. How hot are the potatoes? What's, that, that, those are the combine events I want. Like, how can you take a gallon of gravy? And, and drink it within, like, 60 seconds. Like, you, that's what I want to see. You may find this funny, but offensive linemen and their 40 time tends to correlate to success in the NFL. So, pulling, so like, a pulling guard. I've seen this, right, where if, you, if you're a pulling guard, uh, well, when are you ever going to need straight line speed? Well, I don't know, like, to get out on the edge if you're yep. a pulling guard yep. against a linebacker, right? And it kind of says something about just you as an athlete. And there aren't too many guys who are poor athletes who can match up with the edge rushers and the interior defensive linemen. So... Hernandez checks all the boxes, plug him right in, play him at right guard yeah. next season. Uh, in the second round, I went with a cornerback. I went with Mike Hughes from UCF, who is like a really high ceiling guy. Lots of potential. Could be someone who eventually takes over if Trey Wayans leaves. Can you play the inside or outside he guy? He can Come on. play the inside, okay. which would give him an opportunity to potentially start, though I think Ooh. they still sign someone else to play that spot. I also drafted in the third round an edge rusher named Chad Thomas from Miami, another high-potential guy, big, strong. I think the Vikings will look at some guys who can come off the edge, 
because they want to rotate a little more and they want a little more versatility up front. Rick Spielman talked about that. And then my favorite pick, guys, in the fifth round with the 167th pick, the gem of the draft, a wide receiver named Marcel Aitman, who played for Oklahoma State yes. and had tremendous, tremendous production. 60 catches, average 19 yards a catch. And I was watching a couple of his games back, and he's a, a guy who wins the 50-50 the balls all the time, and he blocks, and he had great production, great numbers in the fifth round. A total steal for Come me. On. Just going to give myself an A here. So now we're grading, and that's, we're, we're self-grading yes, the Matthew Collins draft simulation. The sim draft. So that's I, what I think we should have. That's the next evolution <laughs> for ESPN.com. All right, Todd McShay's mock draft 4.0, and uh, someone's going to grade it. We're going to have Mike Sando can grade it. He's just going to grade all of the mock drafts. Seifert can do it. What, Kevin Seifert, sure. Seifert. Well, for well, sure. What I like about this is that since it simulates the draft, you get yourself in kind of a situation where you're in the second round and you're like, oh, so this guy that I wanted isn't really available. Yeah. Like I wanted the tight end Mike Gusecki from Penn State, who is extremely fast and tall and athletic. And then it's like, okay, should I go with him? Or should I draft Frank Regnow, who is from Minnesota? He's your guy, I thought. He is my guy. And that's the thing. He was available in the second round, but I already drafted Will Hernandez. Okay. Should I take two guards? Maybe they would do that if someone that good was there, that they would take two offensive linemen. It's that important to, to rebuilding this team. Football! Yes. Yes. Yeah. Football. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Not just a mock draft, a sim. A draft simulation. A sim. So what I have done for all of you folks out there is at 1500ESPN.com, I've got the other available options. I've got links. You can draft yourself. I've got the link on there. Also, the pro football focus grades for every player in each area and also highlights from, from each guy. So I have made this a fun festival for you football people. Uh, if, if we could make our website scratch and sniff so it smelled like oh, a football yeah. field, yeah, that would be the great. next level here. This is super football. Uh, Matthew Collar. Judd, do you have anything you want to say about Matthew Collar on Saturday Sports Talk? I've said it before. You can find Matthew Collar on 1500ESPN.com, the Purple Podcast, and also now Saturday Sports Talk. Yes, you 10 guys, to uh, noon with uh, with me. Lots of fun, Matthew. Lots of fun. I, so I don't much, get it. So no, what, what have we done here? That's from two weeks back. That's really excited. I was excited. Now, really? I will say this. Saturday's show was very so lively. Excited. Saturday's show this past week, very lively. Started off basically screaming about Tibbs. Both of you, or was well, it, you were screaming Collar, about Collar Tibbs? defended Tibbs. I didn't defend Tibbs, so it got heated. So it's like for, it's our own version one. of first take is what it sounds it like. It got really heated. Can you imagine what it'll be like if you get that two weeks in a row? That'd be cool, man. I'd like to, to see that again. Terrible. 